Thursday, November 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Taylor Muckerman, and from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday, gents. Same to you, bud. Thanks. How exciting is it? It's Twitter IPO day. Can Finally. You, can you feel the buzz? Can you just feel the excitement? Is it really? I missed that story. <laughs> It where, really, where did you dig that up? It really is. We were talking about this earlier. It really is what the Super Bowl is for ESPN, what presidential election night is for the news networks. IPOs like this are just, it's Christmas morning it's on CNBC. Christmas plus the return of Elvis plus, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's unbelievable. three bachelor parties and everything that they could dream of over it, there at yeah, CNBC. Yeah, I mean, it's, they, they are so happy I it's think they CNBC. Were thinking of starting a spinoff network. Just to cover Twitter. Just <laughs> I wonder how Facebook feels. It must be pretty jealous right about now. If you're, if you're another company and you have bad news to disclose, aren't you getting that news out this morning? Oh, yeah. Right, at, right just, at 11 a.m. Just slip out that, like, put out the little press release like, oh, by the way, we're being sued. Oh, by the way, we're going to warn on, on next quarter's earnings. Very good point. We'll talk about Twitter in just a second. We're also going to talk Whole Foods uh, and their earnings and, uh, and Nestle's latest deal. Um, but let's let's start with Twitter. The shares were priced at 26 when they finally became available to the public. They had popped about 80 percent. I don't know, Taylor. I I like to, I I really like Twitter. I use it all the time. I don't like it at this price. Yeah, it seems wildly expensive. I mean, 25 billion dollar market cap right out of the gate. Uh, like you said, you like Twitter. I like Twitter. I think uh, Facebook is struggling to capture mobile, and Twitter's built for mobile, in my opinion. A uh, little bit more easily to digest home pages and navigate on your phone or tablet. Um, but, you know, right out of the gate, 90%, that's a pretty decent pop that I just can't get excited about as an investor looking to buy Twitter stock. And when you look at how they're making their money, Bill, only about a quarter of their revenue comes outside the United States, but three quarters of the people who are on Twitter are outside the United States. So whereas when Facebook first went public, it seemed like their big challenge was they weren't making any money off of mobile. It seems like among Twitter's biggest challenges, they got to start making some more money overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think... All in all, that's a nice problem to have, to have lots and lots of customers and very uh, loyal customers and to have various roadmaps out there in front of you uh, as to how you go about monetizing uh, as loyal a, a consumer group as they have. Uh, that said, you know, uh, you can take whatever path you want in how they're going to do that and still have problems justifying anything close to this valuation uh, you know, it, it, it the market has problems with <laughs> uh, you know compounding very large numbers. That is, if if you if you say, oh well, what could Twitter do over the next five years? And you know, if you don't like the you know compounding sixty percent growth on the top line, or or one hundred and twenty percent this year, and then sixty, then just slot in seventy, and and that's just as likely a guess as as anything else. You know the standard deviations when you get into numbers that big are are pretty big, and and it's just not the way some people like to invest. But today, you if you want to buy shares of Twitter, you know you're competing with basically uh, everybody else. Uh, CNBC and others have you know put this in front of everybody. If you're not buying Twitter, why aren't you buying it? Kind of is <laughs> is the proposition. And that, that's not always a great time to um, to fight everybody for a, a limited share of what's available. Well, and 
to bring it back to how they make money, the Journal had an interesting article this morning uh, where they talked with a few different people from advertising and marketing, everything from large multinationals like Unilever to um, ad agencies, that sort of thing. And reading that, I was struck by just how very real and specific the questions are about Twitter, where you have advertisers and companies saying, hey, look, when, when we buy advertising on television, we get a lot of information about the audience, a lot of demographic stuff. If Twitter can start to deliver us as potential advertisers that type of information, we're going to be more likely. But until they do, um, we're, we're content to, to sit on the sidelines. I think that that's definitely the, the end game. And I think that they're going to be very capable of gathering that kind of data, especially because it's limited to 140 characters. It's less to really collect that data from. So I think that when you look at Facebook, you like a page or what or whatnot, and that's how you can kind of gather uh, fan, fanfare behind an advertisement. On Twitter, you know, they're still probably going to struggle with that for another couple of years, I would think, because there are so many people on this on this service that are just – you know, kind of diluting a lot of the the beneficial data that that uh, advertisers are looking for. In my mind, this has got to come back to earth, doesn't it? I mean, I I know we're not big in the prediction business, but I just look at where it is right now as of this taping, around forty five dollars a share. I'm not saying they're going to have exactly the kind of struggles in terms of the stock price that Facebook had in the first six to nine months, but it's hard for me to imagine that it's only upside from here. Not when, as you pointed out, Taylor. From a market cap standpoint, Twitter is now roughly half the size of Costco. Costco, with its <laughs> 100,000 employees and its membership model and... Sellable assets. Sellable <laughs> assets and, oh, by the way, profits. Yeah, yeah I, I think on a day like today where maybe the conversation and maybe the analysis is surrounding what could Twitter be? And the answer is anything, right? So yeah. any price is justified over a half an hour you know, the intro uh, doctory uh, period on the market. Uh, as time goes by, the the questions and answers will be, what is it? Not what could it be, but what is it today? Mm-hmm. And as, as that becomes more and more uh, of the equation, then you've got the opportunity to short the, the stock and, you know, the stock market itself is not rising every day as it generally has been, except for, you know, the general market today. Then it's going to find you know less accommodative uh, situation than today, where you basically just have buyers. Until I can trade in my followers for shares, I'm staying away. <laughs> uh, Whole Foods shares down around ten percent this morning after fourth quarter revenue fell short of expectations. They also cut guidance. That's um, that's the kind of double whammy you don't like to see. Uh, certainly, as a Longtime shareholder, I don't like to see it. Um, I'm wondering, Bill, when you look at Whole Foods, do you see a company that has maybe not gotten ahead of itself, but gotten to the point where the stock price, given where it is, the company really needs to hit home runs? Maybe it's not priced to perfection, as we've we've talked about with other stocks, but it is priced for a lot of awesomeness. It's it's priced for a lot of awesomeness, as are many, many other things. And I think it's uh, been a run this year in the market where companies and their stocks have uh, provided a, a fair to middling amount of awesomeness and have been rewarded with, you know, generally awesome stock price rises. And uh, it was certainly in uh, taken uh, just on its own. It's a perfectly good earnings report. Yeah. But 
you know, the, the comp sales numbers were a little bit lower than what was expected. That is a very, very important number uh, for Whole Foods, but they were still good numbers. You just, when you start compounding out, you know, and, and, and I think they decreased the guidance for next year, and it's awfully early, you know, right now, early in the year to, to sort of lower comp guidance um, for that far in, uh, ahead. So, uh, yeah, after the run that the stock has had, not just this year, but the three preceding years as well, yes, you're, you're going to take a 10% uh, step back once in a while. Yeah, I mean, you have to worry about an inflection point where the, these growth-oriented businesses slowly start to pair those expectations back, and the stock starts to realize that, and they jumped into a wide-open ocean of organic food markets and really dominated and took a huge market share right away. But now you see so many smaller entrances into the regional side of this business. Also, big traditional stores opening up entire aisles dedicated to organic foods. So they've got a lot more competition right now. Maybe those growth numbers that people have been seeing and expecting aren't so realistic anymore. I, I mean, they probably are with the company like Whole Foods for a little bit longer. But, you know, who knows how long that's going to last. And then you also see consumer spending down in the same quarter that they reported uh, lower sales. Well, not down, but slower growth than since 2011. Um, and the consumer uh, confidence is down as well. So you have to worry about that. Affluent customers are still confident, but that middle class that has just been getting into Whole Foods' market um, might be taking a step back from that. It's interesting because a few years ago when stories were coming out about different Grocery chains and retailers in general saying, oh, we're, we're going to be increasing our organic offerings, that sort of thing. There were certainly some uh, analysts who just dismissed that notion, mm-hmm. like, well, how is that possible? And yet, just locally here, yes, we've got the Whole Foods right down the street, but uh, further up the street, we've got Giant, we've got Safeway. And uh, this probably isn't happening all over the country, but certainly in our neck of the woods, those two sort of basic mom, I don't want to say mom and pop grocery chains, but certainly mainstream uh, grocery chains yeah. are really uh, going down that road. They're, they're expanding their organic offerings. They are expanding their footprints. They, they're doing renovations locally. And whereas a few years ago, I may have been looking, you know, taking the same opinion, just like, well, I, I don't know if they can do that. Now, Maybe they don't, they don't have to compete with Whole Foods. They just have to compete enough. Mm-hmm. Well, they need to have offerings available. There are enough consumers out there that are looking for that. And um, Whole Foods was never going to be able to have this all to itself with uh, the kind of profits that are available. Uh, and and so, yeah, they're going to see increased competition. They've been seeing it for years, and they're, they're still sort of the leading name in the field, which is a great a great place to be because I think that that segment of the supermarket is, is growing every year. Do you look at a drop like this, 10%, do you look at that as a far enough drop that some people who maybe had Whole Foods on their watch list, they jump in? Or do you still look at it as, well, it's, you know, a, the point Brian White made recently about uh, you know growth stocks and people looking at a five percent drop as a buying opportunity. He said, "No, when you're talking about growth stocks, you need to see a drop of thirty or forty percent." I'm I'm not saying Whole Foods is a growth stock, but I'm just wondering. Uh, oh, it's a growth stock. It's it's back to where it was four weeks ago, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not that big a deal. It was it was October tenth. Is, is it was at this price? So it's not 
you know, way back on October, 10th. way back on October 10th, if you can remember back that far. And so when the Twitter IPO was just a twinkle in our eye. And so it had moved up on a couple of things. I think they had uh, some uh, conferences where the management gave an enthusiastic presentation. Uh, you had uh, United Natural Foods uh, giving uh, having having a good report. So a few data points out there that added some helium there into into a rising stock price but yeah 10% you're just talking about oh you you're going back to you've lost your gains for 3 or yeah. 4 weeks which is not a big deal in the stock market all right before we get to our final story uh i'm i'm going to make a, a personal plea to our philadelphia area listeners uh i'm coming up to philly um, in the next week or so. And really? Actually, yeah, Monday, November 18th, I'm heading up to Philly. I'm meeting with, and I've, I've alluded to this a couple of times, um, uh, we are talking with the Fox School of Business at Temple University about possibly bringing our radio show up there in uh, early 2014. So I'm heading up on Monday the 18th to, uh, to meet with the faculty, uh, look at a couple of venues, uh, meet with some of the students who uh, run the Owl Fund, which is the investment fund at uh, at the Fox School of Business. Mm-hmm. But I figure, hey, as long as I'm in Philly, yeah. if there are any, if, if any of our dozens of listeners have any recommendations on a place to get a cup of coffee or, or possibly an adult beverage, I, I'm looking to do that. So, um, how long know. is the stay at Temple that we're looking to move the show up there for? Well, not permanently. Yeah, well, not permanently. I, I, obviously no, not. I, but like for a week or like no, I think we'll, a day. I, I think we'll just go up for a night. We yeah. uh, we had done a show at American University, uh, the Kogod School of Business, uh, on a Thursday night. I think we'd look to do the same thing cool. if, if we can work it out all the details. So, um, so uh, email us radio at fool dot com or um, hit me up on Twitter at uh, tmf chris hill. Uh, with any suggestions, uh, and thank you in advance to our Philadelphia area fools. You're a Philly guy. You got I me? am. I, you haven't asked me. I'm asking you right <laughs> now. You know what? I won't bore our listeners with 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 your uh, your. I'm going to be in Philly later that week. Fantastic. All right, we'll have to talk about this after the show. Uh, finally, Nestle is selling Jenny Craig to a private equity group in Connecticut, North Castle Partners. Uh, interesting because Nestle is is. Apparently, if I have this right, Bill, they are not selling all of Jenny Craig to this private uh, private equity group, just most of it. Uh, it's the operations in North America, Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific region. The operations in France are staying with Nestle. Honestly, I didn't even know Nestle owned Jenny Craig. I was I was kind of surprised by this news. Caught me off guard as well. Uh, they own some things, and they're, they're beginning to own fewer of these things that would surprise you. Uh, they... Uh, have had uh, stuff in the you know, medical supplies, and they've, they've uh, gotten rid of that. And, and it's, it, uh, I think, a good move for them to concentrate more on their core business, especially the more profitable uh, aspects of the core business. I'm sure when they picked up Jenny Craig a couple years ago, uh, they figured that there would be some good synergies between you know the, the diets uh, that could be uh, constructed around that brand name and the packaging of frozen meals and things like that. And they're have, having done it for a few years, they're finding maybe they should concentrate on what they know best. I don't know all of their brands, but I'm assuming some of their brands are fattening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah. some of their brands. The best brands, yeah. Are, are, yeah. are not, Chocolate. Are not particularly healthy. Sure. Um, so, well, they have got Power Bar and Lean Cuisine. It seems like a perfect fit for a, a Jenny Craig lineup. They're getting rid of Power Bar, too. Yeah, I uh, had no idea they owned that until I saw that. But they own all kinds of things. Um, they owned a medical device company? Yeah. Now, I'm not a Nestle shareholder, but I'm not I, a full. I mean, they just had a huge stake in, in Alcon. This seems like... Uh, 
thirty billion in Estee Lauder too. What, what, when we talk about companies focusing on what they do best, sort of focusing on their core strengths, that seems like it's it's hard for me to imagine someone taking the other argument. Like, do you suppose there's someone at Nestle saying, "No, no, no, we got to hold on to this medical supply well, business"? They, they made a, actually did very well on the Alcon <laughs> holding, but uh, that's all in the past. And and you know, it, you don't have to just keep growing a business because you can, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they're uh, looking at today. And and I think it's it's to the benefit of their share, shareholders. You like this move? You. Yeah, not knowing the number that they sold it for, which has not been disclosed, uh, it's impossible to get too wildly enthusiastic. Uh, they, I think they bought it for six hundred million. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, yeah. a couple of years ago? So yeah, if they sold it for four billion today, I love it. You know, <laughs> but I, I don't think they did, and uh, you know they'll disclose that when they have to. But uh, I, I think. He, yeah, you're not going to argue with them for concentrating more on their core and more profitable sides of the business. Let me broaden this for a second to your area of expertise, Taylor, and that's the energy industry. Yeah, um, okay. This notion of companies expanding into areas like in the energy industry, do you see examples of that where there are companies making acquisitions uh, that really are not core to what they do best. And when you see that, does it end badly? Because I, I just uh, – you and I were talking earlier today. I forget what the business was, but earlier this year, AIG had sold some division. And I don't even remember what the business was. I just remember being stunned that AIG owned it in the first place because sure. it just seemed to have nothing to do with AIG's core area of expertise. Right off the top of my head, reaching outside of the energy sphere, I, I can't recall any companies, but you look at a company like Total, major shareholder, uh, stakeholder in SunPower. So they were an integrated oil company. Now they're owning around 60% of SunPower, which has been a wildly successful business thus far. So that's treated them very well. But when you look at some of the larger integrated oil companies that keep expanding their business for the sake of expanding it, uh, it is still in the energy industry, but maybe they're reaching to different geographies, and they're very slow growth, and some of them have been having terrible releases uh, over the past several quarters, just because I think they are too big. When you look at a company like ConocoPhillips that spun off most of its downstream assets, it's just done surprisingly well, and it's uh, Phillips 66, same thing. So you see a little bit a little bit of uh, asset sales here falling away from uh, maybe their conglomerate size scale, and once they become more focused, the stock price and shareholders have really benefited. You're pointing at me. I, I'm you're, just I, you, you're, as if uh, you know I'm going to say something interesting, well, or had planned to. Well, while Taylor was talking, which is a, a lot of pressure to put on me. <laughs> well, you were because you've had me on the show, and you know what the chances of that are. So, what was your question? Do you have anything to add? Ah, oh, no. I think Taylor <laughs> summed it up beautifully. Thank you. I appreciate that. We'll wrap up there. Uh, <laughs> to hear more brilliant insight from Bill Barker, uh, you can go to fullfunds.com, sign up for the free monthly newsletter, Declarations. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't contribute that much to it. It's really Bill Mann, <laughs> Tim Hansen, and Tony Arsta. But it is a free monthly newsletter. Uh, and to check out more from Taylor Muckerman, um, what is the name of your energy show that you do? So we do Digging for Value Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can find it on YouTube or on uh, all the articles that we publish from it throughout yep. the week. Yep, uh, twice a week. Uh, if, if you're interested in energy, uh, go to the Roku, go to YouTube. Yeah, Roku, yeah. Check it out. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>